everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Magnum Reads. We are continuing through the Agatha Awards this time, with the vaguest of hopes that this time, with the advertising the Agatha, Agatha Awards operates under, we will actually have a cozy mystery to read. About to find out whether that is true. BJ, though, to start things off, what is our story of the week? Uh, so we are reading a uh, little short story by apparently a North Carolina writer named Art Taylor, um, and it is entitled Better Days. Um, and I get more and more curious uh, whether the title is something that the author decided on or the editor decided <laughs> on, because I think that more and more as I'm reading, um, it varies a lot from author to author, from collection to collection, etc. Um, and What's your guess on this I, one? I have a feeling that it's not his title, because of the other uh, story that is referenced in the blurb, which is English 398 colon fiction workshop, unless that, like, one of those two is the editor title, because that is not a consistent sort of style of an author. Hmm. The second one strikes me as more one he thought of. This one feels very much after the fact. Like, there's some of where you almost feel like they thought of the name and then the story developed thereafter. This one feels Hmm. like there was a story... Then someone read it and said, well, that works for a name. But yeah, yeah. and it, in that case, in that scenario, like it feels like it could have been an editor. It could have just been him, too, as anyone who has struggled with titling things knows sometimes you just, sometimes you just do it. <laughs> That's actually something that I find very funny um, because I think all three of us have to title works, mm-hmm. but we're doing it in like, coming at it from like the weirdest angles <laughs> mine's easier because my works are like motions and briefs filed with court i can't get too zany with the titles otherwise the judge is going to have a word with me um and i will say that depending on who you are and what the work is you can get really zany with naming schemes and titles like of papers and mm-hmm. naming like genes and proteins and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and uh, I definitely, in one of my uh, poster presentations at a conference, had a um, Shakespeare joke within one of my titles. Of course you did. <laughs> not, not surprising. Um, well, our author, our author is an interesting sort um, to read a little bit about him. But similar to several other people I think we've had so far, he is an associate professor of English. That seems to have a bit of a commonality with, with a mystery and thriller writers. Really? Um, I would have guessed he like I, I would have guessed that assistant professor would have been much more common for active writers. Hard to say, not sure there. Um, it's also notable we talked about for the last one about authors having parallel backgrounds with their characters of the setting of the themes of the story. Um, Art Taylor is from Eastern North from Carolina. He's from Richland, um, which is just north of Jacksonville, very much in the coastal area of Eastern North Carolina. You're saying uh, Jacksonville like people know where Jacksonville is and aren't confusing it with the one in. <laughs> Florida. Find Wilmington on a map and go northeast. You'll find it eventually. Um, he went to Yale, so he went away from home to an Ivy League school. He wrote for the Washington Post, uh, and he also wrote for several Eastern North Carolina newspapers. As far as I can tell, he's not married to a sun-kissed blonde named Charlie who runs a bar, so there may be an element of wish fulfillment there, but the rest seems on point. But before we get into the beat of the story, Sarah, do you have a recommended drink parent for, for our readers to get into this one? I do. This is one of the the increasingly rare stories where the drink pairing is ready-made in the story itself. 
Um, and so as True. Uh, mm-hmm, as you mentioned, Spencer, um, <laughs> one of our characters in this story is a is a blonde bartender <laughs> who actually seems great. She seems fine. Um, she does. She does. But she early in the story, um, she makes a sort of signature cocktail for a sadly relevant to the story douchebag um, and his sort of coterie of hangers on. And it is, I'm looking for what she said specifically, but she calls it a midnight tryst, um, which I looked up on the internet to see if this was like a real cocktail and it is not as far as I can tell. And so I ended up looking, um, looking up the ingredients that she adds to the cocktail, which I'm, I'm trying to find the ones that she actually oh there we go gin um, creme de coco yeah uh cacao, cacao. <laughs> <laughs> um she calls it a midnight tryst it is gin um creme de cacao and that's as far as she gets in the recipe i believe except she does say that there mm-hmm. is some sort of some extra oh no she does list something else hold on she lists the uh fernet branca or fernet branca i'm mm-hmm. not sure um mm-hmm. Plus, Plus a, a couple, couple of secret ingredients. So I did put in gin and creme de cacao recipes to see what came up Ooh. on the internet. Because I did not believe, I thought that she was like pranking this guy. No, it, mm-hmm. this is actually very similar to, um, very similar to a cocktail called the 20th century. Um, mm. Which, the, uh, the 20th century cocktail, which is um, gin, creme de cacao, lalette blanc, and lemon juice. Um, I was unsure about mm. this cocktail making it. Yeah. Um, mostly because of that creme de cacao in there, which I am not overly familiar with in the world. Um, partially because it is such a strong sort of chocolatey flavor, or more and, yeah. and more a chocolatey smell than the flavor its itself. Um, but I feel like if you sub the lemon juice with Cointreau, you could get something more akin to a chocolate orange. Yeah, and that was kind of, maybe that's what she, maybe that was the secret ingredients, what she did, because she did not mention the lemon juice in there. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I ended up doing, I did a variation on this because I I wanted to have the couple of special ingredients in it, um, which, well, anyway. Um, So I ended up doing (laughs) gin. It's an ounce and a half of gin, um, about three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice, a um a half an ounce of Lalette Blanc. I actually ended up using um the Galliano liqueur because I thought I had Lalette Blanc and in fact did not. Um and then I also did and then a half ounce of the creme de cacao. So for, for me the uh the Galliano is um mm. the secret, secret ingredient. ingredient. Although, you know, honestly <laughs> with the like with that much lemon juice in there and with the creme de cacao, like I, be- I believe that the Lillette Blanc or the Fernet Bronco or whatever, like that is meant to be a like just a sort of herbaceous, slightly sweet element. Um, right. So I think it worked out fine. And then it is, I have garnished mine with kumquats, which are my other secret ingredient. Kumquats? What, what compelled you with that one? I had kumquats. <laughs> And I literally don't know what to do with kumquats, so they have become a drink garnish. Um, And so, you know, again, I was not certain about this cocktail. It's actually fine. 
I, I don't dislike it. The My only problem with it, it actually got better as I drank it. And I don't mean that just in the fact that I drank a cocktail and therefore it's better. Um, the first sip and first whiff of it are so strong on the creme de cacao, it's difficult to get over that. And then you get a real shock of lemon juice in there and it's just a strange place to start. But as you drink the cocktail, the creme de cacao kind of mellows out a little bit and it becomes a much more just kind of ginny, lemony drink. Um, mm -hmm. And I, unclear if that's because the creme de cacao actually mellows out or because I've gotten used to just smelling it while I'm drinking. I don't know. Um, but I would say by about halfway through the cocktail, like it's pretty good. From the description, that's just one of the drinks of where the percentage gin it ends up being seems like it would decide how much you enjoy it or not. Yeah. If, 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 if you lose track of the gin, not a great drink. If the gin eventually shines through, good drink. Yes. I, yeah, I think that I think that's fair. And as, you know, this... My final takeaway from this drink is it was fine. I just would have liked it a lot more without the creme de cacao. As someone who likes a Ginny Lemony drink in the world, I don't understand why we're putting chocolate in it. I'm with you there. Creme de cacao is not my favorite in any, pretty much any drink that it is in, well, or any drink that's built around it. Now I have a I whole bottle of it. I feel like you could put it, it in so. hot chocolate. <laughs> um, but Spencer, you are also from North Carolina, and while I had the unique pleasure of reading this story that takes place in the Outer Banks while I was in fact vacationing in the Outer Banks, which was delightful, you perhaps know more about this like a very weird pocket of the world than I do. <laughs> Can you tell us a little this bit about is, it? Not much. I mean, Lee would be Lee would be more in terms of what to tell us, but this is definitely taking place in a real location. Crystal Coast is an area around Cape Lookout. It is very much real. If you picture North Carolina, that kind of point, that sudden little point that the Outer Banks form at the very bottom, in the very south, that's Cape Lookout, and right in that area. This appears to be happening somewhere between there and Jackson, which is a town that is directly west of that, on the way farther down the coast to Wellington. So it is very much the southern Outer Banks of North Carolina, and it appears pretty authentically portrayed. What I would also say about it, um, just kind of having married who I married, <laughs> is that <laughs> the Outer Banks are not, they, they are technically part of North Carolina, but they are distinct from every other part of North Carolina. And they are also not really the South. They are their own very unique world um, that still, despite everything becoming globalized and access to areas becoming much easier to do, has found a way to remain isolated and unique in spite of that. Mm -hmm. And to their credit, it makes for a remarkable place to visit. Um, so yeah. a follow-up. So Spencer, you have the most yacht experience <laughs> out of the three of us. In the sense that I've been on one? What? Well, you know about boats. Well, well, in the sense that you <laughs> sure. are aware of and are intertwined with all the legal processes necessary uh, to yacht. <laughs> I have studied admiralty law quite a bit. What can I help you with, BJ? Oh, we're, so are yachts and um, cruise liners of particularly different ship ship-related legal issues. I love, yeah. I love, BJ, that you do not know enough about this topic to formulate the question. <laughs> well, I have no idea what other than, like, contractual obligations that a company would have to its uh, customers, what 
law related issues. Oh, listen, I'm in, a, I'm in exactly the same boat as BJ, um, but I'm just delighted know? that you're the one asking the question. For for either one, you're reporting your boat and it's titled to the Coast Guard. That's a basic element as well as to the state government. More than that, uh, they could be not be more night and day. I mean, a cruise liner is a floating hotel. You have every associated regulation that goes into the idea of being a hospitality industry associated with it. Uh, hmm. A yacht is just a private vehicle. It has much more limited in the way of regulations that are associated with it. For both, you dip your toe into admiralty law, which for newbie lawyers that are getting up into the law, do not assume you have the slightest idea of how the law of boats works. <laughs> it is something that they decided to take from the 18th century, not really change much for 300 years, and just place 200 years and just place upon us. It is arcane, it is old, it is twisted, it is downright nonsensical at times, and you better be a specialist before you ever start getting a, start foraying into it. So there's the similarity in that they are both subject to the same overarching field of the law, but they have entirely different crossovers for how they interrelate with government regulation. Gotcha. Um, how many engines would you need to get far enough off the coast to start being in international waters? Uh, if you're determined enough, a little a little 20 horsepower uh, power up motor. It doesn't, if, you, if you head in a direction, if you want to get oars in a row, you can get in international waters. How far out are international waters? I'd have to double check. It's something I can never remember. It, subject to, there is no set honest to God law on it. It's just kind of what everybody wants to enforce. There's a lot of conflict on the subject and there's a lot of gaming mm-hmm. of the system. Hence why China likes to build islands in the middle of the South China mm-hmm. Sea. So as to assert territorial waters wherever it wants. I was just thinking, like, you know, how far away do we need to go for a slightly more wild New Year's party? <laughs> You're a U.S. citizen. You could always be subject to U.S. law. Keep track of that. Uh, I think there's a lawyer here <laughs> that could keep track of that. <laughs> Hence why I'm advising us not to do this, particularly in a recorded form of discussion. <laughs> but for our story, uh, Art Taylor is remarkably credentialed in terms of amount of awards he's won. He's won the Edgar Award. He's won the Agatha Award several times. And while we can debate the merits of this story and will, I think we all can agree that this, finally, is very much a cozy mystery. Yes, we have been talking about what counts as a cozy mystery for two stories now, neither of which meet the hallmarks of a cozy mystery, and we have finally gotten there. Yeah, I think this one nailed it. It is the amateur sleuth. It is a very much mystery that's occurring in unexpected fashion around that they're trying to adjust to as the time goes on. Mm -hmm. It's an element of a plot, but there's other plot threads that are going at the same time. There are Uh, actual, like, clues and evidence that you can follow along with as a reader. Sure, sort of. Well, we're we're generous at this point, BJ. I mean, the last two were examples of where the mystery was, when is the murder going to happen? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. What, is, what is going to be the catalyst for it? In this case, the murder has already occurred, and they're trying to put together the pieces for explaining it. The mystery is secondary in this case. It is more almost, I wouldn't say it's incidental to the plot, but it's not really the focus of the story. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a key driving force for it. Yeah, I mean, and it sort of does hammer home like the, the points of... Like, the story, which is a little bit more relationships than a mystery it, it, itself. It, it is an individual's journey and individual's relationships that are actually the, the heart of the story. But a mystery unquestionably happens. Um, so, let's get into it. We kind of already discussed, uh, you know, I did, I'm struggling to write this down. Do we know the main character's name? I. <laughs> uh, no, we don't. I mean, I mean, as you, like, mentioned before we started talking and a little bit here, like, this is... 
almost definitely an author stand-in. Um, and Spencer, you did creep on uh, the author quite a bit to see if he had a hot blonde wife. Um, and I think we're unsuccessful. His wife is not blonde. <laughs> I'll make no other judgments upon her. Uh, she's actually a fellow writer the same way he is. But no, she, his wife is not a blonde bartender named Charlie from Eastern North Carolina. Gotcha. That would be very funny if they both had um, author stand-in books that very clearly <laughs> did not have a significant author <laughs> in it. Oh, boy. Um, but our story is very much set on the southeastern coast of North Carolina of where it's a guy that is kind of trying to refind himself in life, given that the choices that he had made, it didn't really pan out. He'd kind of gone off to the big city, pretending to be a big city journalist around D.C. for the Washington Post. He'd lost his job in the economic downturn, and he kind of came back home again in a way that he's trying to convince himself he's satisfied with, but everyone around him is convinced that he isn't or at least shouldn't be. Particularly his dad, and it's his relationship with his dad that I'd say almost forms more of the structure of the novel than anything else. Or I think we've had a couple of stories where we're in a relatively small town with, like, a father and, and son and there's this common thread of a son being a small in a small town where their father was being a failure and i find that kind of interesting it, like it just it seems to crop up every so often uh it was in stephen king's it was in the mist sure and it, it, it um, seems to particularly happen with these author stand-in characters around some sort of creative mm-hmm. endeavor mm-hmm and it's not in this case that he's necessarily followed in his father's footsteps. Right. I don't think we know much about what his dad does other than that it's something maybe associated with the harbor or the government to a limited degree. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he still is living in the shadow of his father just because he views his father as a towering figure that he'd previously butted heads with. I mean, I think yeah. He's living in the shadow of a damaged relationship and the element of judging that goes into that. And interestingly, like we get a bit of the damage in the relationship which i feel like for a short story is a little bit surprising mm-hmm. yeah this is ultimately a story i found just a little bit disappointing but not because it was bad it's very functional it does a lot of things and it accomplishes them successfully it doesn't much go beyond that kind of safe bounds but it still d- tells a much more complete story than a lot of the ones we've had previously yeah mm-hmm. Whereas- Sorry, sorry, no, ahead. the only thing I was going to say is that it, it, part of the reason, at least for me, that it feels much more complete and well-rounded is that we have, like, actual characters here. Yeah. So much previously, it was just almost like, let's turn the cameras on in the middle of a scene kind of thing. It was just almost like a vignette of a larger story. This is a complete story with complete characters that actually have arcs, which is impressive in a short story. Um, at least our main character yeah. does. Yeah, arguably yeah Charlie I was going to say... Too. To that point, Sarah, like you can almost imagine the last two stories that we've read that like there's the and scene and like everybody gets up and like goes and takes their makeup off after the short story where this is like. (laughs) It's true. The last two had very much almost like a play feel to Mm -hmm. them where this Mm -hmm. is much more of a literary work. So as I said, he is a a small town journalist who doesn't really want to be. who's trying to convince himself he's okay with it while he just kind of bides his time. His dad is all sorts of judgy about what he's doing to choose with his life and kind of wasting his time which raises prior hackles because he and his dad have never really buried the hatchet from the kind of original leaving of home that he went about. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, he's, while pondering his future, one of the things that's not necessarily holding him back but has started to give him roots in the community is that he's begun a flirtation with a local bar owner. (laughs) Which I feel like is an insane and, like, I guess it's sort of like a very relatable experience that some can have like having a crush on somebody else but completely unrelatable that like 
that would change the course of where you live and work with like a well i've said hi to this bartender like three times and she's hot what seems like they've known each other a little bit better than that (laughs) they are actually the way i interpreted it and sarah tell me if you agree Mm -hmm. they are friends and but they've been the kind of friends of one there's always been a question of whether they'd someday be more than that but due to a mix of events careers different life paths and him apparently being an utter cad it's never really gone in that direction I, I think I agree with that. I, it was a little unclear to me whether they had known each other before he left or not. It, True. I don't think that's Okay. Because I, I, I was thinking I might have just missed that. Although, you know, the, these communities in the Outer Banks, if you are living there as a local full-time, they are so small that yeah. it's it's difficult to imagine that if she is also actually from there, it's difficult to imagine that they wouldn't have known each other. Um Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I do think that they have, like, they seem to have some sort of, they they have an actual connection, um, mm-hmm. which is beyond just him having a crush on her, I think. Um, although she does seem to think that he's kind of an idiot. Yeah, well, she, not a reason. Sure. Like. If, if uh, anything, she, it seems like she's interested in him, but views him as too risky of a commodity to really commit to, yes. because he doesn't know what he wants yes. yet. Which seems well, like a fair also, assessment. like... It's unclear, like, when he decided he had this crush on her, and, and, like, that sort of got him to stay in town, and also when that synced up with him taking all of his dates there. Sure. Yes. That is true. That is is, is an interesting point as well. Another point I'm just kind of thinking about, too, is that, I think this even comes up a little bit in the story, he has come back home. But he doesn't really view himself as being a local anymore. I think mm-hmm. there's an element of maybe pride or superiority that goes about how he carries himself. Mm-hmm. And so she maybe thinks, maybe not inaccurately, that he kind of looks down on her for just being a local that didn't leave, that you know created her own business and set up roots, whereas he views himself as better than that. I think it's simultaneously that and coupled with this idea that it's very clear that he doesn't know if he is willing to re-become a local or not. He he, he's still plotting his future. And mm-hmm. I think she view, he views her as a difficulty in that regard. Yes. If, if she wasn't in the picture, he would have left, probably, maybe, if he'd, if he'd found the gumption to do it. But the fact she's there just means that he continues to remain idle and fall back to his default. Um, their relationship forms a, a, quite a bit of this story because it's the conflict there that kind of leads to ultimately the mystery and the thriller and the investigation that's associated in the later part of the story of where he's at this bar and there is a can't even call him a barfly. He's just a new guy that's in the bar causing mischief and uh, being the life of the party. He uh, seems like an, his name is Randy, and he seems like an aging Randy. frat bro. He is yeah. very much an aging frat bro, who is, of course, from Florida, like all aging frat bros <laughs> should be. As, as um, Spencer is our resident expert on Floridian <laughs> aging frat bros. How does this depiction I mean, measure up? This story just seems so aggressively hitting my areas of knowledge. Of where we've got the aging, we have the aging boat-bound frat bro. We've got the North, we've got the North Carolina local deciding whether he wants to remain a North Carolina local. We've got a guy that had previously lived up in Northern Virginia before coming back to North Carolina. It's like, man, I'm just checking boxes here when it comes to this. Spencer, have you um, ever written but, under the pen name? <laughs> I cannot. My publisher has insisted that I can either say nor reveal that information. Um, <laughs> But he's meant to be just the quintessential douchebag, the quintessential beach bum douchebag who is living off a pension fund, a, a trust and pen, a trust fund, 
and has just no interest in doing being anything more in his life other than just burning money and having fun doing it. Yes, and he is very no, flashy with the money in this in this scene. And Dropping sort of the platinum card. All overhanded with the uh, hitting on the bartender mm-hmm. and having uh, sort of weird backup buddies that you sort of always wonder who like who the backup buddies are and like what their story mm-hmm. is whenever you see like a person like that and they clearly have like people around mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we also and- get as as we kind of mentioned like this is a f- is a first person narrative. And so we get um, mm-hmm. we get our plucky journalist heroes um, inner monologue on the douchiness of this guy. Right. Which the douchiness in his mind is magnified by the fact, like by, by BJ, what you know, that he's hitting on Charlie yes. pretty aggressively. Yes. Uh, and seems to keep doing it in particular once he sees our main character approach and be talking with Charlie. Like, you know, mm-hmm. our, our main character's talking with Charlie. They're having a nice discussion. And... Um, Randy inserts himself in the conversation to then start hitting on her while the other guy is still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which our main character interprets as being rather pointed and interprets each of Charlie's reactions as being receptive to it, which is seemingly more reflective on the fact of his own self-doubt rather than necessarily what she wants or, you know, what her profession inherently kind of requires to a certain degree. He also... Did you guys ever... Oh, go ahead, BJ. Did you guys ever watch that 70s show? Yeah, a little bit. Why? Apparently, the last season, which I didn't see, uh, they replaced the main character with a dude named Randy, who ends up, like, hitting on, I, I think, the main character's girlfriend, and everyone's just Donna? like, well, what are you do-? Yeah, Donna's like, what are you doing? Like, that's not cool, bro. Um, and it's just, like, it's so funny that basically this Randy is doing the same <laughs> thing. to Yeah, uh so what we see a lot here is that our main character, I'm just, just to call him something, I'm going to call him Art, just to assume he is, an, he, is, he is a character stand-in. Art has a lot of self-doubt and a lot of jealousy that quickly comes to the surface when he even entertains the idea that Charlie might be interested in somebody other than him, mm-hmm. which leads him down a rabbit hole of suspicion when it comes to Randy, which seems to be he wants to find something to discredit this Randy fellow just so that he can dismin- diminish him as a possibility of... Of Charlie. Not even... Thr- yeah, not even, not even as a threat to the woman he loves, a threat to the potential woman he's kind of sort of pondered maybe in the future-ish, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, he has no stake here. He has no claim. He has no, even, he has no reason to be involved at all other than that she is a woman that he has a bit of a crush on and he instantly gets jealous of the idea she might ever date somebody else. Yeah. I, Sarah, what were we going to say before? I have no idea. But what I'm going to say okay. now <laughs> is um, that it's interesting... Art's reaction in this situation is sort of interesting because part of what, you know, given his his kind of, like, driftiness now, having come back to his hometown and, like, not really doing the, the type and caliber and level of journalism that he is used to doing, um, you know, one of the kind of seeds of jealousy that you would think would be planted is specifically on the the at least seeming success of of Randy. But he's right. moved so quickly to being jealous of his flirtation with Charlie that he mm-hmm. immediately says, well, that can't actually be his money. Which yeah, is such an interesting... I, I, I don't find it, like, disbelievable, but I think it's... Or unbelievable. But I, it, it's such an interesting mental move to make. 
Oh yeah, it, it, it felt very authentic to me because he's interpreting the flirtation of between the possible flirtation between uh, Randy and Charlie as a personal attack on him, mm-hmm. as a personal assault to his own confidence. And so to buck himself up, he's immediately trying to find ways to knock down the other guy. Yeah, that Which, that feels very authentic. It, but like that doesn't seem off in the interaction that we've seen so far that that's kind of what Randy's doing. No, that's fair. I mean, it it does seem sort of based on because he's he's so so flashy with the money and like so right. weirdly the whole thing seems performative. Yes. Right. And it's like, oh hey, you're talking to the bartender. Oh, can I get a midnight mm-hmm. tryst? And it's like, wait, what's this? Yeah. Like there there is that element going on, but I think that art's mental gymnastics to go from point A to point B is, you know, a bronze floor routine. Yes. Like th- this is this is complicated, but maybe you know reasonably well. Done. Yes. Well, he's he's adding things up, but he's losing track of the variables. He's got a pretty correct read on Randy, and I think I think mm-hmm. anybody, yes. anybody who saw Randy mm-hmm. in the bar would have a pretty quick read on Randy. But he's assigning that to Charlie, and in terms of interpreting her, yes, it doesn't seem like as much of a fair of a read. Even Again, even in this first third place. <laughs> even in this first person narrative, I think the reader mm-hmm. is meant to understand. I mean, the reader is meant to understand that, like, that even Art all- thinks that he's. Spiraling yeah. over the top, yeah. yeah. And, and the next, the next segment of the of the, of the story directly confronts that. Yes. Where Art jealous as hell decides to stay at the bar, so he can basically just nonstop bad badmouth Randy, try to get him a read of whether Charlie's actually interested in him or not, or at least maybe sort of try to discredit him in her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, which he keeps going on this, and Charlie just keeps trying to laugh it off as she gets kind of like either both uncomfortable and annoyed with how much he keeps hitting this. Of her her explanation for all this is that. Hey, his credit card cleared. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I'm here. I'm paying for all this. This is my bar right now. That's my interest in him. Leave it alone. But Art can't really leave it alone. He keeps on hitting it, and he uses one of the mo- what I always use one of the most annoying lines to ever say to another person of where, you know, I'm just trying to protect you or something along those lines. Which is, I I hate that line in literature because people totally do say that in real life, and I really hate it in real life when somebody ever says that because mm-hmm. it's the most condescending paternal thing you can ever say to another person to explain your actions. Yeah. Uh, Charlie seems to have been doing just fine without you here in the first place. Like, let's yeah. back off, bud. Yeah, pretty much what Charlie tells him is almost just like, put up or shut up. Is that, you know, you're essentially almost trying to stake a claim here when you've been bringing girls nonstop left and right. It's like, what are you actually trying to do? Mm-hmm. What do you actually want here? Mm-hmm. And he's too much wrapped up in self-doubt to really do anything about that other than just kind of let the conversation spiral into jealousy. But he d- sort of develops a mission for himself. <laughs> yes, yeah. his mission. Background take down research. Randy. <laughs> oppo research. He's getting. He's uh, doing oppo research on the uh, non-competitor that he has decided on, and uh, does it poorly. Uh, it, it, it's not a surprise that he washed out of uh, better tier journalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his opposition research, which is totally accurate, opposition research is originally just Google. It's like, just search the guy down. Yeah, like, and so he, just, he searches uh, Randall Bacchus and is just convinced. Oh, look at this! He's mid sixties. He's an excess, successful energy executive. <laughs> Clearly, this is identity theft going on. And I do like that it is. Our author did a lot, did enough research on Florida to make it authentic. Of where you know, Jupiter Island, Florida is directly north of me, and Charlie Crist was totally the former governor of Florida about. 15 years ago now so <laughs> on point there um 
But I, he he's, comes convinced on this, just even starts mumbling to himself identity theft, enough that it attracts the attention of his editor, who wanders in, looks over his shoulder, reaches over his shoulder to type junior at the end of the keyboard <laughs> and press enter, and suddenly, well, a whole new narrative has formed. Yeah. Like, and this is so, like... This is wish fulfillment. It's... I, we can interpret his incompetence if we want, but it just seems like he's letting his own desires get in the way of his better judgment. Right. Yes. Oh, well, I was going to say, like, it's an interesting look for an author stand-in mm-hmm. to be that incompetent. That willfully blind in these circumstances. He wants to find identity theft. He wants to be sure, convinced yes. that this is wrong. Um, yes. He's, he's, letting, he's letting his own wishes and desires get in the way of his better journalistics. Um, but what he finds is exactly what he could have reasonably and we reasonably assumed, that this is a trust fund baby. He has all of his dad's money, he's on his dad's yacht, he's spending his dad's money like it's going out of style, and none of that is a surprise. And I mean, none given of that his age, changes. I mean, kind of is. How old do we interpret Randy to be? Oh god, that's I, actually I a really good question. I agree with you that I read him as an aging beach bum, mm-hmm. or an, an aging frat boy in the sense that he's probably like, you know early to mid-30s, maybe I interpreted it as? What did you guys think? I thought maybe a little older. Um, yeah. I thought maybe his, later his dad, 30s. His dad's like late 60s or something. I think I think our art says that our he's like a good 30 years older than um, Randy. So that, that, that could yeah. definitely work. It's sort of like there there is a point in life where this person that is like spending their parents' money and hitting on bartenders is like a little bit expected when they're, you know, the slightly washed off frat boy, maybe. <laughs> when the did the, the like, 20s frat boy can get there. Yeah, yeah. you know, early to mid-20s, and you're like, okay, well, maybe you took an extra year or two in college, like, and you're still of that mindset, but a decade later, and it's like, okay. This is one of the examples of how money lets you remain in childhood longer. Mm-hmm. Of where the fact that he's rich, the fact that he can throw it around, the fact he can make himself the life of the party with his money lets him remain immature as long as he wishes because he can pay people to tolerate it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our main character is thoroughly disappointed to find that there's just nothing other than on the surface, at least what it appears, when it comes to Randy. And I think I think next thing we find him, he's just kind of wandered out to the harbor and is just staring at the boat with a kind of vague obsession. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this has actually progressed really quickly. Like, that, those kind of actions are usually not something you get into, like, at least a couple of weeks of b- mulling this over. Well, at, at least we have, like, the page break that says, and time progresses. Because sure. sure. it's like, dot, 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 page break on Sunday afternoon. So... Yes. I'm I'm glad he ultimately finds a murder mystery because if he hadn't, this guy would have spiraled quick based on what we see of these limited pages. This would have just been a very sad story about mental health. Like I don't... <laughs> mental health and depression. Hey, it is a bit of a story of mental health and well, depression, but he finds yes. a murder mystery, he, the yes. ultimate panacea to mental health. Well, does he? He doesn't. Well, he, he and his dad. It's he a team just effort. stumbles into one. Well, okay. Hey, only one guy gets to put his name, apparently gets his name written on the article at the end of the story. Um, but he's staring I mean, he off at the boat. He's going to keep his job when his editor came in and he's just like, really, dude? His editor laughed it off. Apparently he's a very good worker, almost too good. He's finding, the, it's a struggling newspaper that he's almost struggling to find new articles. Um, mm-hmm. But he's staring off the boat, which is named Better Days, which is a crappy name for a boat, but feels very authentic for a lot of boats I've seen yes. down here in Florida. Um 
And while he's looking at this, just, you know, staring at the workers on it, staring at a woman in a bikini, pondering what Charlie might be doing and whether she's on it, Randy just walks up and says, Hey, you, guy at the bar, want to come on my, wanna come aboard the boat with me? Have a drink. Sure. Yeah. Oppo research in person. Better be ready to be. Great. Yeah, totally. So it goes on the boat and finds that it's kind of trashed. It looks great from the harbor, but it's just full of... Tr- it's, there's trash everywhere. There's leaking alcohol pouring out on the deck. There's a, a galley which has just had painting, pictures and paintings torn off the wall with stains and the smell of cleaner. This thing has seen better days. He clearly has been throwing a nonstop party aboard this. At least that's the assumption. Yeah, I mean, this is Sunday morning in a frat house. Yes. My boat, so. my rules. Uh, <sighs> very much. And so... They find their way down to the galley, which she makes a makes some kind of joke between salon and saloon, which I didn't get. <laughs> um, and they chat they for a little have bit. A drink. They sh- they have a drink, and Randy reveals that he's even more of an asshole than we originally thought. Of where our main character is just kind of trying to force his way through the drink while he's listening to a story, and he accidentally bumps into a wall and gets stuck on a couple nails. That's never going to be important later. And the conversation turns to Charlie, of where Randy kind of sort of like said apologizes for charlie because that's the one thing he's probably good at is reading people and he's like hey you know i saw that you had an interest in her hey don't worry it was just flirting with her a little bit don't make any deal of it in time for charlie to walk in having been specifically invited while randy has a shit-eating grin on his face Mm -hmm. Uh, so did you imagine charlie was entering or leaving i interpreted entering i did too okay did you Uh, feel like she was leaving bj i thought it was unclear and a little bit more of a shit-eating grin if she was leaving based on the crewman introducing her like said hey boss she's here or something like that and her description for why she was there i interpreted yeah. as her arriving mm-hmm. but again the shit-eating grin would all be, if this were adapted to the screen the shit-eating grin would have been multiplied by her you know coming out of the bedroom or something yeah um what happens next is mostly a large fight off camera that we get a few descriptions of of where it was apparently a very unpleasant affair of where she tries to say that she was just there because he was invited her to discuss a business proposition and that's again the only reason that she's there and regardless it's none of Art's fucking business anyway Mm -hmm. and Art proceeds to say in several ways it's none of his business while at the same time getting angry and criticizing her (laughs) one of those conversations yeah that Um, that, although happening off screen feels authentic yes Mm -hmm. it does honestly again it's it is impressive that the characters feel pretty authentic for the kind of tropes that we want to associate with them in this story. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. li- some of them are tropey, but they're rather purposely tropey, and the relationships events feel pretty real. Yeah, including tropes what happens are tropes next. for a reason because yeah. they happen. You can relate to yes. them. Yes, right. Tropes are useful. They are shorthand, and in a short story, you kind of have to use shorthand quite a bit. And we get a good relationship moment coming up with the dad for the next segment of. We see our main character in no small amount of depression, thinking that he has just screwed things up for the last time. Mm-hmm. And his dad kind of swoops in to give him a bit of a maturity talk. Mm-hmm. Of where, I mean, how would you guys summarize what the nature of this conversation is? It's basically just trying to screw his head on straight for what he's here for and what Charlie is also here for and how those two square. Right. And kind of like, hey, I see that you're kind of floundering right now. Mm-hmm. Because you, I mean, you came down here for, you know, reasons that probably aren't clear to you, and you're milling about here for, like, a year and a half, like, figure out what you're going to do, or just enjoy what you're doing now, and don't try and, like, be like, well, I failed out of, you know, 
a bigger and better paper. Do what you're yeah. doing. And it, and it's very much a sort life. of like you are making choices right now that are making you miserable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one thing is also, it's an element of background I forgot too, is that part of the reason he's here is also his dad. That his mom mm-hmm. seemingly died a few years before yes. and she was the one that he was closer with. And he's here also out of a, I think he's almost convincing himself to a certain degree that he's here out of an obligation to his dad because his dad's getting up in years and maybe he needs the help and support. But his dad seems perfectly fine. <laughs> and he's maybe just convincing himself to help justify why he's here that, oh, I have to care for my dad now. Yes. Um, not help with the fact that the two of them apparently have never had a very close relationship and part, in fact parted on seemingly pretty poor terms before he came back home again. Mm-hmm. But his dad steps in to serve a very father moment of, you're hurting yourself, your, your reasons you're here are decisions that you're making, and the reasons that you can leave and what you do from here are your decisions too. You just need to make them. Mm-hmm. You need to think and, about them and head in a direction. And oh, by the way, you idiot, I talked to her and you've completely gotten yourself all wrong. Let me explain it to you, you idiot. I like to feel Maybe. that um, Charlie, or Charlie, that Art's dad goes into the that same bar to drink on all of the opposite days of Art and just has like real oh, yeah. conversations with Charlie. <laughs> They've known well, each I other for imagine, years. Yeah, like I also imagine he's like an early morning drinker basically <laughs> rather than like an after like turning yeah in maybe it's just different times the paper of day. for the yeah. deadline and so like art is there for closing up and his dad is there for opening and they have completely different conversations in terms of like lucidity and how done with like the day charlie mm-hmm. is I think that's an excellent read. I almost want to imagine that there was a certain point of when they might have overlapped in their schedules and their dad changed his so they wouldn't. Because he's like, I'm totally not drinking at the same time my son nope, is. Not, not doing, doing this. that. Uh, but yeah, he, he and Charlie apparently have maintained a regular rapport. And he's like, yeah, you misinterpreted this. You jumped, leaped on your own assumptions and things are spiraling. She likes you, you damn idiot. How about you two have an honest talk about that subject? Mm-hmm. Um, but while they're having this talk, he reveals some of his doubts and concerns about Randy, which at this point he's accepted were just illogical, jealousy-driven stupidity. But his dad, smart guy that he is, seizes on a couple details that to him maybe sort of merit some further investigation. Specifically, it appears that there has been a lot of sudden work occurring aboard this boat. You know, there are nails sticking out of the wall, there's sudden remodeling that's occurring, there are stains that are being taken up. And there is a story of, you know, a retired executive down in Florida that is the actual owner of this boat. How about we investigate along those lines? Mm-hmm. And what they quickly discover from a few calls down to, you know, the other baby Jacksonville, <laughs> uh, Jacksonville, Florida, mm-hmm. uh, the energy executive father has recently retired and is, according to the, you know, former secretary there, on a trip with his son up to North Carolina right now on the boat and hopes that they're bonding and bearing the hatchet from their own recently demised mom and establishing a better relationship going forward. As there is no dad aboard this boat right now, this raises questions. Yeah, legitimate questions. (laughs) Yeah, not the least of which is why are there nails in the salon? And um, pretty much those questions immediately kind of jump to the police have been called, articles have been published... Mm -hmm proof has been confirmed that randy at some point when moving from one from jupiter to jacksonville north carolina um had his dad either killed his dad or had his dad killed and that Mm -hmm. despite their frat boy efforts to clean up the evidence there is still evidence of blood and seemingly they all tell never got their stories straight either 
So a rather quick arrest. Bland. A rather quick arrest is made, and that element of the mystery is solved. And Art's um, reputation is saved. Yeah, and we and get a little bit more of. We the... get two moments of character resolution, kind of here. Yes, I was going to say we have building of the character relationships that sort of are what this story is about and there happens to be a murder that you can sort of solve as a cozy yeah. mystery but which is not an uncommon trope of cozy mysteries sure um but yeah relationship number one to fix here in the last moments is the relationship with his dad where we find a lot more about the background and where things went south about is back when he was a more driven youth uh they got into a serious fight and seemingly short before he was going to go off to college and never return home and when the dad came back home, he'd found that the son had ripped all the pictures and containing him off the wall and even cut him out of several of them and just left the nails hanging. Mm-hmm. And it was that clue, it was that common moment of pain that the father was able to tie to provide the linchpin to help investigate the mystery. And it's a realization moment between father and son that they've never really discussed this and that the son's never... It, it's so much a background. This is also a very authentic moment that for the son, it is so much past. It's so much background that he can't even really necessarily remember it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it, it, he knows that it's real. He knows that it happened, but it's not necessarily real to him anymore. Other than that, he now needs to bury the hatchet with, with respect to it, mm-hmm. to finally offer a long deserved apology for it, even though it is, it is, beca- it is, it has become water on the bridge, but it only really can finally complete itself by having this conversation. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then his dad invited Charlie over for the exact right time when they were finishing their conversation, reestablishing <laughs> their relationship, so he Just can Art can one. pull his head out of his um, after areas. What? No, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, the dad is not only using this opportunity to bury the hatchet with his son, he's also using the opportunity to give his son a motivation to pick a direction in his life. Yes. And when it comes to somebody he's been interested in, but too wrapped up in himself to actually admit it. And apparently, um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I was going to say, yeah, how long into their marriage do you think uh, Charlie's going to die? <laughs> so they have the same, like, father-son <laughs> recently. Um, I give it, I think that it, there is going to be one newborn child involved in the picture ah uh, yes okay yeah um that because, is, so that's that a thing that, that art raise. then has to like figure out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also having a newborn child then sets up when you want to do a series 10 years from now with the next generation mm-hmm. of mysteries mm-hmm. too through this yeah perfectly yeah anthology <laughs> uh, um but apparently the dad had, had several conversations with charlie and you know discussed what his son was about and how he needed to get his head on head screwed on straight but how about you come and have a talk with him to help do that and help screw his head on straight yeah okay oh god sorry <laughs> didn't mean didn't didn't mean it that way uh but apparently charlie is the, possibly the more mature person of the two and agreed and was already coming by to help it, do that possibly and possibly we'll see you know it, it ends on an unclear moment but her approaching and her coming aboard and the idea of you know forgiveness and bearing the hatchet and making steps in a direction for you want for yourself kind of wrap up the story mm-hmm. you know, kind of a theme going throughout the story of the main character eventually accepting and realizing those bits of good wisdom yes mm-hmm. um good I, I mean that that that's it <laughs> the story is done yeah. yes indeed it is <laughs> um, um so i wanted to say like a lot of like the pieces of this story are good and authentic mm-hmm. and it seems like somebody tacked on other things and well, i feel like some yeah give some examples because i feel like well go ahead the mystery <laughs> like so the frat boy being there but having more than a little bit of conversation mm-hmm. 
like everything else with that it feels like the inauthentic part yeah. it's just like the author had a good story about a guy and a bartender sort of never quite meeting and him having come down to like help his dad out and you know come away from the big city because he didn't quite succeed there i feel like that tells a true story mm-hmm and then there was like an alternate story about a frat boy killing his dad and showing up in the Outer Banks in North Carolina that were kind of zippered together, missing a few teeth. Yeah, so this was going to be kind of my point is that either in this story I wanted more and better, but more of the mystery um, mm-hmm. for it to be like actually focused on that with real and actual clues and something to solve and follow along with. Or I really wanted it to be more about, like, the specific place of the Outer Banks and, like, the weirdness mm-hmm. of the leaving and coming back. And, the re- and while I do think that, like, there were a lot of good things about how these relationships were portrayed and developed, more of that in the specifics of the Outer Banks also would have been good. Um, but it does, yeah. to your point, BJ, it tries to kind of split the m- middle with that, which is not... I feel like it... it if it... It would be worse, I think, if it split the middle. I think it's much more heavily, like, the relationship Th- That's things. fair. And I think yeah. it, that, that, in that, it is relatively successful. Mm-hmm. And I think, really, to your point, if you're going to choose real places, you have to choose real places. You can't choose real places and then not do anything with yeah. it. Mm-hmm. L- literally, this seemed to have been chosen so that there was water, so that there could be a yacht. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, as we talked about it at kind of the top of the pod, like the Outer Banks are such a specific place. This this felt like it easily could have just happened in Florida. Um, yeah. It, it, it feels like a coastal location. Yes. Right. And I guess to me, it doesn't even feel like, I mean, I guess parts of the Carolina coast to me, because there's sort of a yacht showing up. Mm-hmm. Like, and how it shows, like, and just how it is that feels a lot more Florida to me, where you can just show up places in a yacht, dock, and get some alcohol and then wander away. But I, that probably is a little bit more my experience of North Carolina rather than. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really, else. I don't really know much about how, like, if you were actually boating up and down the coast, like, what, what that would look like in terms of stopping in different places. But I'm sure there are, like, very different processes and kind of feelings for how that happens and this did not feel particular with this story i feel like like we discussed it's more complete than the other two that we've done Mm -hmm. the other two Mm -hmm. aren't trying to be complete this one Mm -hmm. tells a well-rounded narrative that has a beginning a middle and an end and even a conclusion or resolution for the character arcs which is an accomplishment Mm -hmm. like you guys said though it has elements that i just wish had been spent more time on and better integrated together the relationship stuff i agree it's well done it's pretty authentic it's a pretty good read on the characters and what how they would react to particular particular situations the mystery could be interesting it seems like it's an interesting enough mystery to explore further but the relationship stuff doesn't have enough grounding in a location like you said and the mystery is tacked on and missing some of the elements of a mystery that i like best it's got a lot of the hallmarks of the cozy mystery but one of the biggest ones that's left out is the confrontation. Yeah. That's one of my favorite mm-hmm. aspects of mystery is when our main character confronts and reveals knowledge to the suspect or presents it to the police or has that moment of confrontation associated with the accomplishment of the plot. And all that occurs off camera because it's so secondary to the actual story that is happening. And the yeah. other um, the I... other part of the mystery that is 
is my favorite part that is really missing here is like an, an actual investigation. We get the cursory, well, I'm going to do a Google search and, oh, I did that right. wrong. And then his father has a realization and that's, that's it. There's not an investigation going on here. So I think the other problem with this mystery, and I, I think that it might be a problem somewhat going forward, is I'm okay with, a, I like fair mysteries I'm okay with unfair mysteries, but the weird nebulous region in between where you give some clues, but it's not a fair mystery, I think is a problematic area, and f- short stories can often fall in those. This is trying to straddle the line of where it gives us the information that the characters make their conclusions from, but we have no reason to make the same conclusions the characters do. Yes. Mm-hmm. If, it, if anything, the story has given us all the reason to not trust those conclusions as meaning anything other than just the product of a jealous mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really don't but, get to spend enough time with the father and his psyche to have any idea where his kind of revelation is coming from. It almost feels like we're reaching a, a similar conclusion that we made with respect to the last story of, we liked aspects of it, but it would have been better if it had been longer and done more with those aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It tells a good relationship story, but it needs more of a foundation and development for that to work. And it sets up what has a lot of the hallmarks of a cozy mystery, but not one that seems wants to spend much time with. And I was about to say that, like, I would be happy to read, like, the cozy mystery novel form of this story. But I want to stop myself before actually saying that, because I would need to have a little bit more conviction that our author could actually write a mystery before I dedicated <laughs> myself to yeah. that. Right. Here's a question. With respect to the last three authors, from what you've gotten out of their short story, which of the three are you most interested or inclined to read another or a longer work by them? That's really tough. Uh, I think it, so for me, it would really depend on the length of the book. Okay, let's um, say it's a 300-page book. That's a t- <laughs> that's a tough number. So <laughs> what I was gonna say is is like a like short, medium, and longer, where like you know like two, four, and six maybe. Okay. Because I think that the um, the restaurant book has sort of the most meat that you could have in it in terms of like the relationship of these two guys over twenty mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this book has the most like medium length legs where you can just explore the town um get a lot more in the relationship between charlie and art um get a lot more in the relationship between charlie and his dad or between art and his dad even charlie and 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 art's dad um and get a lot more exploration of you know dealing with the boat that i don't think needs like a long history and that the uh, food story would mm-hmm. need or the uh, restaurateur story would need. Um, so, like, I think that could be good. Um, I don't know that the bakery story can be good without a total rewrite. Yeah. I Like, for me, I feel like I trust this author that we talked about tonight the most to give a story, to give me a novel. Um uh-huh. There were, uh, you know, parts of this that were not great, but I do, I don't know, I do feel like he has enough of the sense of place that, like, expanded out. And not only do I think that actually what he has here 
could be a good novel, I think, and we kind of hinted around the edges of this, but, like, what I feel like he actually has the makings of here is, like, a good cozy mystery series. Like, this can keep... I believe this character who is kind of washed back up in his hometown as a journalist who has stumbled into mysteries. Like, that is the hallmark of give me eight books of this where he keeps finding himself investigating murders mm-hmm. with his dad and his on-again, off-again girlfriend. Like, just straight into my veins, give it to me. We've, yeah. we've, talked, we've talked before about how much we appreciate and men as a compliment the idea of a successful meat and potato story. Mm-hmm. This author seems like he could, re- like you said, really seems like he could deliver a reliable airport paperback. Yes. In terms of yeah. just, it is, an, it is an enjoyable, successful read within this genre with surprisingly well-developed characters that you would necessarily expect for kind of a quick paperback. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is a success. And uh, the other two writers, I thought, you know, had it sometimes had more vivid descriptions, a more mm-hmm. interesting turn of phrase, mm-hmm. more poetic ways of expressing things. But I never got necessarily a read that I would like a novel written by them. This guy, I think the story is maybe in some ways less impressive than aspects of the other ones, mm-hmm. but ultimately more complete or more successful than they are. And that's yeah. what you would hope for in a novel kind of form. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I think that the only reason that I said that much about the um, the chef and uh, restaurant uh, cr- mm-hmm. critic short story is that short story felt like he had written a novel and yes. then chopped off 95% yes. of it and left mm-hmm. in like the things that you really need to have to make it make at any mm-hmm. sense and that's one of the reasons that it was so bad <laughs> I mean, I mean, that, that story just screamed one act play mm-hmm. I, that's that's reminded me of it's just like here here is an hour play of two actors on a stage kind of thing which can be fun mm-hmm. it can be really well done it just wasn't necessarily what we were looking for in terms of this kind of cozy mystery genre mm-hmm. yeah but I do, I do take your point, BJ. Like it does. That did feel like the a part of a much longer, and ultimately, if it were a more complex and possibly more successful work than um, what we read tonight, I just don't trust that it's there. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, I mean, it's just really hard. From the longest story that we've had now is thirteen pages in a magazine. <laughs> um, to get that much yes. of a read. But yeah, I do uh, very much agree with that. Um, I was curious, having read this short story, whether you guys had sort of similar experiences like at about the age that I sort of imagined the uh, author stand-in to be, uh, the main character, which is talking about uh, a lot of things from my childhood and, and even somewhat thereafter, like with my mom as an adult and like going back and looking at things that that she remembers that I remember um and reflecting on those things as an adult as well as like you know some other things but really having like very different adult conversations with a parent and and sort of having very different eyes on the interaction and I think both of you end up with very different eyes on the interaction in those conversations I've had some of that um, with my mom, particularly, you know, as I have become an adult and and gotten older, although it has been less it has been less about my interactions with her, but how we experienced like particularly, I would say, other family members. Um, and my mm-hmm. mom and I were really like really close growing up. And while the the, you know, adults, 
the parent-child relationship was always there. I, I do actually feel like we had relatively frank conversations in the moment about what we were experiencing with each other. So I don't mm -hmm. feel like there was quite as much mystery there. But I do feel like particularly my mom felt like there was a certain expectation and decorum about how she was expressing her thoughts and feelings about other people to me that has changed <laughs> that changed <laughs> as yeah. i have gotten older uh which has been wild yeah i'm kind of a similar boat of where i always had a very close and open relationship with my parents even independently of each other and just the conversations that we would have and how honest we could be with each other biggest mm -hmm. difference for me has been just the distancing away mm. the fact we live in different states the fact we have that kind of both physical and practical difference distance between us changed the relationship and I added a much more removed lens that I now had on it mm -hmm. of where the fact I'm no longer with them day to day the fact that I'm no longer around them in that way the fact that I now have my own independent life separate from them which is a key part of you know becoming an adult and that everything else mm -hmm. it added a level and I described it as distance it added that level of just distance between us mm -hmm. that the fact we were removed in that way separated us both not always just physically but just in the nature of our relationship and it's been interesting trying to work around that and work through that mm -hmm. that's interesting because like i would have to say that um i i lived with my uh my parents for a number of years after uh college when i was working uh in baltimore and then moved away for graduate school and and for the past little bit more than 10 years and I would say that in some ways, like I've gotten a lot closer with my mom since moving out mm -hmm. and like having like different adult conversations. Mm -hmm. um, well, it, it, it's something that's very psychologists have talked about before. Um, it's just, it, there are very different kinds of parenting. And I can't assume BJ, what the nature of your, of your, of your relationship with your mom was in that regard. But some of mm -hmm. advised that parents can't be friends with their children, which wasn't in my childhood, but that a parent and a child have their independent relationships. And when they become adults, then they can be your friend. But as long as that they are under your wing, they can't really be your friend in that way. And that I've yeah. seen that as being very true for certain people. It's just not really the relationship I had mm -hmm. with my parents. Um, seems like for our main character, it's very much the relationship he's now realizing that he had. Where he, he's able now as an adult to meet his father in much more equal terms and understand the wisdom that his mom had long since advised him about his dad. But yeah. as a kid in the moment... It had too much baggage associated with it. Unclear that they will ever be friends in the world, though. Probably no. not. I, I think uh, they will see a lot of each other because Art's dad and Charlie get yes. along well. <laughs> yes. She will be the glue that kind of allows them to revolve around each other, which is a mixed metaphor, but whatever. Yeah, if, if the two of them break up, the dad is not going to stop being friends with Charlie. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> he will stop being friends with his son. Much faster. Charlie's going to get the house and the dad's going to live there <laughs> and, and uh, Art's going to have to move on to like a smaller paper or go back to the city. And that's when we enter into the genre of sitcom of ah, yes. father and ex-wife. Um, so anything else we want to talk about with this story? No, I mean, I, I thought it was a successful story. I wasn't particularly inspired by it. I'm not going to probably remember it long afterwards, but for what it was, it hit the notes it needed to. I just wish it had more notes and maybe a different focus sure yep um so next time i propose that we read um alex's choice now, have you read this one before i have read part of it i have not gotten all the way through it but from the beginning of it it seems like it's again veering in a in a wildly different direction 
Is it more than six pages long? It is, actually. I'm not sure if this is the longest one that we will read, but it is... Actually, how many stories do we have left? It is far and away the longest one that we will have read. And then we'll B- have one BJ's, more after that. BJ, was five nominees for each year, right? Or was it six? I think it's five, which was frustrating. <laughs> yeah. You can't do pairings as much with that. Yes, so we have yeah. Alex's Choice and Grist for the Mill left. So um, I vote Alex's Choice next. Sounds Try good. something yeah. a little different. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, BJ, um, before this next episode comes out, if our fans are looking for more material to enjoy in either the cozy mystery genre or not, where can they find it? Uh, they can find all of our stuff on mangantalks.com. Um, Mangum Reads, which is a sub uh, podcast in the in the Mangum Talks channel, has its own Facebook page um, where I post all the updates and all those other things. We also have Pottering Around, which is our chapter by chapter read of the Harry Potter series. Um, and there is a bunch of other stuff on the Mangum Talks uh, channel that varies from comedy to basketball to um, making moves in various directions. Spencer, I hear there's uh, some other podcast that's going on. Yes, on Mangum Talks TV, we are discussing Queen's Gambit. We are through several episodes in it now. Dramatic events have occurred and will continue to occur, and I am learning more about the history and subject of chess, which has been both fun for me and hopefully fun for the, fun for the listeners too as I go on increasingly long spiels on the subject. Um, but as we're rushing to the end of this one... Uh, oh, damn it. Uh, yeah, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can contact us uh, by clicking at the right, upper right-hand corner of the website or uh, commenting on our Facebook page. Um, and as always, it's been fun, y'all. Bye, guys. Bye.